Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcasts with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started today. Brewers back-to-back sweeps for Cincinnati. Eight straight road wins. Six straight overall wins. Hey, this is John Sadak, TV voice of the Cincinnati Reds, and you're up for Late Night Reds Talk. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's edition of Late Night Reds Talk. What an awesome day to be talking about the Cincinnati Reds, winners of six in a row. And right now, the Chicago Cubs are down and looking like the Reds could potentially be at the end of the night, just two games out of first place in the Central. I am Tim Daniel. You know the crew, as always. Nick Kirby from Red Leg Nation. What's up, guys? The man who once struck out Alex Rodriguez at Yankee Stadium, as I like to talk about, because you're my friend, so I get to do that and brag about it. Carlos Guevara. What's going on? And guys, I'm so stoked to introduce our guest this week. This is the guy who has brought the livelihood, the loving, fun, exciting back to Reds broadcast. You can check about every Reds game, doing play-by-play on Valley Sports TV, whether it's Jeff Brantley, Barry Larkin, Chris Welsh. This man is there to their left each and every day. This is Mr. John Sadek. John, welcome to Late Night Reds Talk, man. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you, guys. Absolutely, man. We're stoked to have you. So, Tim, real quick, before you announce everybody else, you have to throw Joey Votto's name in there, too. (laughs) Did you check out Joey Votto? No, I'm talking about John with his partners. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Was that that radio? That was radio. Okay, sorry, sorry. (laughs) But... I'm sure that John would be definitely excited to be talking baseball with Joey Votto on a broadcast one day. I would love that. I would love to talk a lot of things with Joey Votto. (laughs) He strikes me as a really smart guy who I think has some really funny, cool observations about a lot of things we wouldn't even think of unless it just came up. Yeah, so C. Trent wrote that article for The Athletic with like the different stories, and Carlos had a couple in there that were just like – I was reading the article and laughing out loud at my desk to where my wife was like, what, what is going on in the room right now? <laughs> it's like, these are just, this is just perfect. Like the Scooter Jeanette story is great. Like all of them. Joey Moppo. Uh, yes, Joey Moppo. <laughs> so Carlos, I, I mean, so John, I do want to talk about obviously everything read through this episode. I know we'll touch on a lot while you're here, but I really have to say first, like, I kind of almost feel like because with you kind of taking over, we kind of talked this before we came on air, just like you bring a, your breath of fresh air to the broadcast. But I almost kind of feel like I'm your audience of one because you'll talk baseball, but in the same episode, you'll have like an old WWF reference. You'll bring up like a Ninja Turtles reference. There was a couple of weeks ago, you and Jim Day were talking about your favorite Batman cartoons and like comic book series. And I was like, does John Sadak know I watch every single night? Because I feel like he's talking to me. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really me. I mean, to, to be honest, I, I've always tried to, and I, I, I think I've reasonably well executed just being myself. You know, it's, to me, that's why you have to do it in the minor leagues. It takes a long time to find that. I mean, just like players kind of graduate up levels and progressively get better. The, the number could vary, but most guys who have done this for a long time or at a good level will say you need hundreds of innings of play-by-play to begin to know who the heck you are so that you can get through the mechanical crap and just really let your personality go. And that's me. I mean, that's what I'm into. That's if I were watching the game with my friends or just BSing or texting with somebody, or that's what would, that's what goes on in the thread with my partner from AAA that has been going all day today, talking about random stuff into baseball and invincible on Amazon and uh, me finally watching community and then going back to baseball again. (laughs) So I, and I know Carlos and I talked about, like, we're both big, like, and I, Nick and I haven't had this conversation, not to say he's not there, but like, 
Carlos and I are big fans of 80s pop culture. So like, you know, you have a ton of those references. So Macy, I have to ask, I never thought this would be my first question of our baseball podcast. Did you see the trailer for the new He-Man, the Masters of the Universe? And if you did, what are your thoughts? I did. I was a huge He-Man nut as a kid. I was actually talking to our stats guy, Joel Luckup, about exactly that today. Uh, because I'm a regular listener to uh, Kevin Smith and Mark Bernardin co-host a podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, the, the Fat Man Beyond. It used to be the, the Batman-driven podcast. And they talk basically comics, sci-fi, pop culture. And Kevin's the, the showrunner. And Mark is one of the writers of the episodes. And uh, I, I thought it was pretty cool, man. And th they've been selling it hard. I mean, they created it. Uh, but they're, they're pretty honest and transparent. And they're highly... Um, fun critical you know they point out positives and things and it looks compelling like and the the musical score was excellent yeah. and to be honest like you know you go back and you watch the old he-man which i adored as a kid I, I still have a photo of my mom's house on the wall of me and my brother like you know making muscles next to a giant like dress up he-man and hordak before the the he-man she-ra crossover film came out and uh the, the original show was pretty bad. <laughs> it really wasn't <laughs> that good. Um, but my memory of it is so inflated. But yeah, He-Man, Thundercats, Transformers, even like GoBots. I, I don't know if I would say I was into Rock Lords, but I saw the crossover film and I did buy a few of the toys. Like that, that was my world. Before my wife and I got married, I made her like sit down with me one weekend and we watched the three Ninja Turtles movies and she still decided to marry me. So I guess I did something right. But yeah, like the, the, you're like speaking like right up my alley here. Um, but we'll go ahead and I guess, cause I know our fans want to hear us more talk baseball than pop culture. And I understand. Um, but first I really want to start before we kind of get into like the state of the current reds and things like that. So when you told us you were going to come on, I went back and I did a lot of research and we looked, I looked up your article that you like that Mark Sheldon did your profile when you took the job. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was you mentioned like during the pandemic, you know, you struggled to find work. You were just basically running and doing exercise to be sane. And you sent tape and information and letters to all 30 MLB teams. What was that process like for you? Just trying to get your, just get your name out there for teams that hopefully give you a call. And thank God it was the Reds. Um, well, I mean, to be honest, I'd done it before. I mean, I'd done it multiple times. I did it when I was in the minors. At one point I did it annually for at least three or four years in a row. Um, generally with no response. The, the other thing you don't know, and I still wouldn't know now, like, who is the contact person with every individual team? Is it somebody in the front office? Is it somebody with their TV rights holder, their radio rights holder? Is it um, a VP level executive? Is there a gatekeeper you have to go through first? You really don't know. So if you're, you're trying to find people's names and titles and stories where people talk about previous transitions and broadcasting and who gets quoted, who gets attributed, and you're just blind selling yourself it's like cold call sales um and often without knowing that there's an actual job um and i wrote the reds that it was probably that july or august um before there was any form of opening or possibility of an opening just just to try to get on the radar um and, and really that's the purpose the purpose was just try to connect with somebody try to forge some kind of a line of communication and maintain it and then stuff happens you know like uh, these are, these jobs are so awesome. They're great. I mean, like everybody wants a job like this. You sit, talk about sports for a living. It's, it's amazing. Uh, they're Supreme Court justice appointments. You know, like people get this job and unless they die or something horrible happens, generally they don't electively leave. You know, you don't say, you know what, I'm good. I'm going to go do something. What are you going to do? What, what is a better job than this? Yeah. Um, so Talk to me about the, you know, the call or how did it happen? Did you get an email, the call? Like, I mean, I just kind of, you hear big leaguer stories about their call. I mean, I, you know, I'm just interested to see how it was for you. How was that day? Who'd you share it with? So uh, with this amazing opportunity with the Reds, I, I would say there were, there were several progressions that of note. So the first was, I did most of my college basketball off a monitor in North Jersey and uh, CBS would put me up in a hotel in North Jersey, not too far from our studio. Cause I would usually have games in back-to-back -back days or three games in four days or whatever, driving back and forth would be too much. Um, so I was in that hotel. I called a college hoops game the night before I had another one that coming night, my agent called and asked, how would you like to interview for the Reds television job? And when that first, so when you're talking about interview, you don't know, they don't really tell you you're one of 
three, five, 10, whatever. But you know you're in a fairly small group from whatever the sample size was. So you, you got a shot. You got a legitimate swinging chance. Um, to be honest, when I first got that call, I was my, my response was like, yeah. And, and that was in no means a, a disrespect to the Reds or Cincinnati. It was the opposite. I've been really close with multiple other jobs like this before. And every other time I knew a major decision maker that had my back, that got me into that group. And then when he calls about the Reds, I'm like, I, I don't know anybody. I don't know anyone with the Reds or in Cincinnati. So even if I've gotten to this point, I was convinced that I had a great chance if I didn't have any one of those prior jobs. And in several of those occasions, you know, I'm calling my parents, I'm calling my, my high school best friend, I'm calling my college buddies, and, and it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And it becomes this, you know, you, you dread the rejection. You get so scared of the no that, to be honest, I didn't tell that many. And I also, I really didn't think I was going to get it. I don't know anybody. This would be great experience. Let's go through the process. But clearly somebody's going to know somebody more connected than me. And I'm just here as the obligatory. We want to talk to three, five, whatever it is. And I'm that third, fifth, 10th person. Um, I went through the process. I had three different uh, interviews. They all went incredibly well. With each progressive one, I did start to think, I might actually have a chance at this, that this could actually happen. And I finally got the call again. I was actually about to record an open for a college basketball game. I'm in the studio with my partner. We're minutes away from taping this thing. And I get a call from my agents. Excuse me. Ask the producer, can I step out for a second? And he calls and says, you got the offer. Like they want to hire you. Like, Oh my God. It, uh, it really, it makes me emotional. Think about it. Um, it, it was really cool. It was, uh, I called my wife. We had the shortest, most emotional phone call that I've ever had because I had to record the open. Like he said, yeah, you got two minutes. <laughs> we got to go to work. <laughs> so I called her and she wanted to make small talk. And I had to say like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry, but I, I just need to get this out. I told her, you know, she started crying. She was super excited. And uh, yeah, and then I went back in and I did the game. It was, wow, that was really cool. And then uh, that, that whole drive home, I'm calling people that I know. Um, to, to let them know that are, you know, within my circle, my dad, my mom, my brother, um, it, it was really special. That's awesome. So we're so lucky to have you calling the games. We really enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. John, huge fan. Love the, the positivity you bring to the Reds broadcast every night. Uh, I think you have a really just phenomenal chemistry with Barry Larkin um, over such a short time. It's just, it, it's wonderful. And, and I was telling you off air, just, so impressed with how prepared you are every night. You can really, really tell on your broadcast. Um, my, my question for you, you kind of hinted at it, but how do you, you're from the New York City area, right? How do you just come to Cincinnati and I, I, you might be living and dying on every pitch more than me who's been doing this for, for 30 something years. H how do you become such a, an avid fan of the Reds overnight? Um, I mean, it's, this is my life. This is what I hope to be my life forever. As long as, as they'll have me and I'm healthy and able to do it. Uh, this is my dream is to call games for a big league team. And, and part of what helps it to some extent is, um, I did have some exposure to what fandom for the Reds was like, uh, my first partner when I was in AAA is a guy named Andrew Kappas, uh, who is from Alexandria, Kentucky, grew up a huge Reds fan. He's an NKU graduate. Um, he worked uh, in Florence. He worked in Lexington. Um, he most recently has been with the Pirates uh, AAA club in Indianapolis, uh, but he was a lifelong Reds guy. And Dave Miley was our manager in Scranton when we were first together. Uh, my first two partners at CBS doing college games were Danny Graves and Todd Coffey. Um, and my second partner in AAA that I was with the longest, uh, we were roommates for several years, is from Tennessee. He's a University of Tennessee grad, also lifelong Reds fan, um, who's actually been out to the park a few times this summer. He does baseball at Kentucky now and uh, women's basketball and is on the studio for football there, a guy named Darren Hedrick. Um, so th that helped that I had some kind of familiar. Once I got the job, um, it was a lot easier with the Reds than with most other teams for me to draw on resources of people that I knew and get a feel for, all right, well, what's the current state of the team? What's the recent history been like? What's your perspective as a lifelong fan? Um, yeah, and, and 
that's where, you know, when I thought in the moment getting offered the job, I don't know anybody but the Reds. Over time, I started to put together how many people I did know that were in or from Cincinnati. Um, you know, Jordan Cornette had been a regular partner for years on basketball. We worked the tournament together. He's a St. X guy who uh, went to Notre Dame. His mom worked at Cincinnati Bell for years and, and still lives in the area, works in the area. Um, Steve Wolf, Xavier guy, uh, who I was with many, many times over the years. And, and I'm like, you know, I actually know like 40 people that are in or from Cincinnati, almost all of whom have been lifelong Reds fans. Um, and, and to me, like that's, my passion is sincere. It's not a put on. It's uh, my, my second date with my wife. We were watching the Super Bowl and she got a little scared because of how into it I was <laughs> and the way I reacted to moments in the game. And, and to me, like, that's what makes it fun. It's, it's unscripted drama. And I love it. I love sport. I, I would go to my brother's house league hockey games and we would do mock announcing or like really aggressively cheer or boo, you know, like interacting with the players. And there's some 40 year old, you know, beer league. It's just, to me, that's, it's so fun. Fantastic. Um, one other thing. So when, when the Reds swept the Cardinals, I, I loved the line. Oh man, I'm going to butcher it. Um, for the broom cleaning line. Was that in the moment or was that a prepared thing? I, I love that line. It was, it was so good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I pretty much don't script. Um, the, the only things I would ever outline in some way, um, I've had the, the opportunity to work a number of national championship events. I did the final four in title game in women's basketball, uh, final four in field hockey, the final four in water polo. I've done the opening round of the men's tournament. So if you're looking at like a, a major moment that's going to be chronicled in perpetuity, a call that could be played a lot, and you want to encapsulate like when Mississippi State beat UConn and snapped the longest win streak in college basketball history. I got to get that in there. That's got to be in the call in the moment. But I don't like write down verbatim on what I'm going to say. I get like the outline of what I want to say. Um, and, and, and baseball, it's even harder because you don't, there's no clock. So you're not counting down to a moment. That moment can stunningly happen at any time. So uh, I, I had the idea that I wanted to underscore it. Um, but no, that was, that was just kind of off the cuff in the moment. Tim, I got, I got one more question that no, kind of go goes along with this. This was actually from, from uh, uh, someone on Twitter. Uh, what is the biggest difference between calling a, a minor league game and a major league game? I thought that was a really good question from our, our friend Max. Um, there's a lot of differences. I would say the number one is just information and frame of reference. So I can do a Reds game and I can talk about the 1990 Reds and there's immediate recall and emotional connection to that experience. I wasn't here for it, but I can learn about it and I can share that with a fan base that's going to readily know it. When I'm doing Wilmington Blue Rocks games, if I bring up the 1993 Blue Rocks, <laughs> there's a very small fraction of the listening audience that knows anything of what I'm talking about. You know, that it doesn't have, you can't compare um, a current red with a former red or a current red with a former big leaguer in the same way in the minors. It just, you don't, you don't have that. And there's just less information. I mean, your information is, if the only way you're getting it is you better be at BP every day. You better be in the clubhouse as often as possible. You should be talking to your coaches every day because there's not much. There's a media media guide. Like he had 26 doubles last year at low A. Like, okay. I mean, I could use that once, I guess maybe it's kind of interesting. And then that's it. You got to, the, the only humanization of it comes from interacting with them every day. We're in the big leagues. It's the opposite. There's so much information and so many stories have been told how do you parse through it to find what applies in that moment? How do you find what's most interesting? How do you find a story that hasn't been told or find a new way to tell it? So I, I would say that's the biggest difference, but also the energy, the energy of a big league game, even if it's a lighter crowd, it just, the game matters more. The players are truly playing every game to win. In the minors, players want to win. Don't get me wrong. They have pro professional pride, but the organization structures the lineup in a way that benefits prospects this guy's always going to hit in this spot you're not using relief pitchers in the same way you're piggybacking start it's a different game it's not exactly the same it's not apples to apples and the import to win the value of winning no matter how good or bad your team is winning matters and there's such heft that comes with that that translates to the broadcast fantastic 
I will say, so, you know, Nick and I growing up here, we grew up with George Grand and like George was terrific in big moments, like, you know, calling Griffey homers and, you know, walk-offs like Dunn's walk-off grand slam against the Indians. And you're like on that level with him to where like things are fun. And I wanted to go through real quick because you're 66 games into this role. And here's what you've already covered in 66 games, John. You've covered two bench clearing incidents, a no hitter. You've seen a team lose seven in a row. You've now seen them win six in a row. And um, let's see what else. You've also covered like 47 injuries already. So, you know, what has this roller coaster been like for John Sadek his first year in Cincinnati? Um, well, uh, to be honest, I mean, the, the no hitter is pretty crazy. I mean, yes. that's, I, I had never called a no hitter when I was in the minors. So that to do that in the big leagues and to have it happen in the first month is nuts. Um, <laughs> but I, I have been really fortunate that most places I've been, there have been major moments like that. I covered Delaware women's basketball for almost 10 years. They snapped uh, my first year calling the games. Old Dominion was the longtime powerhouse in that league and won 122 consecutive home games against conference foes. They beat them and they wound up sharing the league title with them, shocked the entire conference. Um, my division three alma mater, my senior year, the second to last game I called, they beat their nemesis, Mount Union, at Mount Union in overtime. It snapped what was the longest winning streak in college football history. I called the end of the longest winning streak in college basketball history. Um, yeah, but the AAA team that I covered with the Yankees that had Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez, Luis Severino, Glaber Torres, they won the AAA championship. They won the IL and the overall title, something that had never happened in the history of the franchise. Um, now, don't get me wrong. They were down years and mediocre times, too. Um, I've been really lucky. Like I've had a chance to have crazy, awesome moments at multiple stops. And, uh, and I just, I, I, I always feel like something special is going to happen. And, uh, and this team is just really good. I've been incredibly lucky to be dropped in with this team that even when they lose and you're going to lose, it's baseball and you're going to have ups and downs. Uh, they're fun. They're interesting, you know, like they resonate, they connect with you in a way and you kind of share the experience uh, to make it entertaining and fun. Yeah, absolutely. And like we talked last week, we had Chad Dotson Chad Dotson for Red Lake Nation on. We talked about, we started the hashtag flawed, but fun for this team. <laughs> no, fun, fun, but flawed. You got to do fun, fun first. Flawed. Fun's yes. got to come first. <laughs> yes, fun, but flawed. And it, I feel like that's perfect. And really, like, so one of the last things I want to talk before we get to the current team and your thoughts there, I wanted to touch on. So when I read that article, you mentioned that when you took the role, you watched, you went back and watched 12 Reds games, just kind of get an idea of the team and the organization and as far as like the players and everything like that. So what did you necessarily know? You mentioned that you had, you knew about the fan base, you knew about like the lifelong love of the Reds from people, but what did you necessarily know about the team before then? And then after you watched that, you watched those 12 games from last year, Hopefully there were 12 good ones. Uh, what did you kind of pick up from what, what the team was going into this season? Um, you know, I, I, I think the biggest things I knew, I knew what Votto represents, you know, um, I knew he could be for some, a bit of a generational divide, you know, because he's more rate driven was a historically an on-base guy. Um, and I knew that the team, I, I knew the fun fact about the walk and hit ratio and being the first team to have more walks than singles during the course of a year. Um, I knew what the pitching was like, and I knew that was obviously in transition with Bauer. You know, that was a fait complete. You knew that he was going to go somewhere else and get mega paid. Um, and, you know, to be honest, beyond that, there wasn't a ton that I knew specific to that team. I mean, that was kind of the thumbnail sketch that, that I had. Um, but very quickly, you know, talking to my friends that, that do follow the team on a regular basis, I asked them, what do you see? What do you think? And, and I'm still always learning. Like I, to me, that's one of the great things about the history of the team in particular is that no matter how much I ever read, watch, know, I'm going to run into a Reds fan at the ballpark. That's readily going to know way more than me. Even 40 years from now, will know more than me because they lived it. You know, there's something different about something burned into your brain when you're eight years old that you then go back and watch in a kind of a uh, rekindling of your youth way than a research oriented, I, I wanna get a flavor for what it was like in this era or with this guy or with this team. Um, and to me, watching the extra broadcast was also to get a feel for what the production was like, you know, because every team show is different 
Some are more serious. Some are very lighthearted. Um, some organizations, from what I understand, don't want you being silly. You know, they want you calling it straight the entire time. Others want you to deviate because they want you to entertain more. I just wanted to get a feel for what it was like um, and, and get that sense of that tone. And then talk to, you know, our producer, Josh Hall, speak with Barry and Chris and Cowboy and Jim Day and, and hear their input and, and find out, you know, do you want it to be the same? Do you want it to be different? Do you have an opinion? What, what do you think? Should we talk about the team now, guys? Yeah. I think they're so. playing all right. I mean, probably. Yeah, they're good. decent. <laughs> <laughs> so when you watch this team on a daily basis like you do, and I know like, it's a little different with the COVID restrictions. I know you don't get to get on the field as much. And obviously you're not on the road with the team yet. Um, but when you kind of see them on a daily basis at GABP, like what really stands out to you the most? Because we talk every week about this team. And, you know, we have a lot of similar opinions. Like we're talking about like, we can't believe these two young guys are leading this team in walks. And we can't believe like these young start, these young pitchers are coming on and getting big strikeouts. And these veterans like Joey Votto and Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker are killing it. But what is the really thing that like stands out to you the most when you watch this Reds team on a daily basis? Um, I think the thing that stands out the most on the everyday is how good Castellanos and Winker are. I mean, they are, they are elite players in the game. This is not a small sample size, two hot weeks. I mean, it's what June 16th and these guys are raking. They are super locked in. You see them getting pitched in so many different ways and they continue to find ways to produce. Um, the hustle of Castellanos, I thought was on great display again today. I mean, he legs out that infield hit scores from first base on the Naquin shot into left field. If that moment doesn't happen, I don't know what the heck goes on further in that game. I, I think, I think there's a chance Peralta could go, you know, into the ninth inning and you're probably looking at a, a one, nothing loss. Um, th that was a giant swing moment. Um, I think the, I think the team continues to kind of Phoenix in some way. Like we, we see these flame moments of whether it's injury or underperformance from a certain section of the team and they somehow come through it stronger. Another guy steps up, you know, when somebody, gets hurt when somebody's not performing there's another piece that provides um you know the bullpen has been much maligned most of the year and and largely rightfully so it had been really bad it had been a lot of walks they've had a dominant week i mean they looked fantastic and it's come with anton on the injured list as he's trying to get right and hopefully we'll be back over the weekend against san diego uh, so I, I think that unexpected versatility um you know the the ability of of kind of fitting the puzzle pieces in different ways and riding hot hands and getting production. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of credit, you know, recently and um, um, it has to go to David Bell. I just think the way he's been able to, to mix and match and um, um, the way he's managed a bullpen that, you know, doesn't have a lot of track record, um, um, and, and, and I think he's, he's used Sims because Sims is his, obviously his top dog right now. The, the way he's been able to use him, but not, not burn him out. Um, you know, having Doolittle get two outs, sneak, sneak two outs in the eighth before going to him to get four to, today. Just, I think just the way he's, uh, he's managed has been, has been really great. And, you know, I mentioned it earlier. I think it's time to extend him. Um, I, I think he's, I think he's a, a guy we need to keep around. Yeah, I mean, he's a Cincinnati guy. He's been awesome to me. I mean, he's been incredibly accessible. Um, he's been very honest with us. Um, and I, I think there have been times where he's been hamstrung to some extent. And, you know, I, I, you, know you read the comments and, and they're more than fair because it's, that's fandom. You know, you, that means that people are emotionally invested and that's good. Um, and so anytime you fall short and you lose, you should feel a little stunned. Um, but the bullpen management, the large part, I think he's made the right moves that you can make the right move and it doesn't work that that happens. Somebody's going to lose the game, you know? Um, and, and sometimes you can make the wrong move and you can luck into something. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, they're winning. That's the whole point, right? They're, they've won 13 out of 16 games. They're making a real charge in the division and they're still not whole. And honestly, they'll probably never be whole. Probably nobody will ever be whole. That's today's game, especially in this year, more than any other. 
I mean, you, you look at what's happened to the Cardinals and their rotation. They finally just got Gim back, but Flaherty's out until like August. And uh, Michaelis is probably done for the year, I would think, if he still has the forearm issue when he's on the 60. And, um, and I, 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 I think David has done an awesome job, and I've loved working with him. Yeah, it certainly has been kind of really shocking. When you kind of came to this team, obviously, you know, a name that a lot of people are talking about, he's becoming a bad fan favorite is uh, Jonathan India. And obviously, rightfully so. Um, he's got the lettuce. Everyone likes the lettuce, of course. Um, but the fact he's so comfortable in the box is something that really jumps out a lot for him being in, the, you know, only playing 60 major league games. And like we said before spring training, he was on no one's radar to necessarily be on the major league roster. If you read baseball prospectus, you knew who he was. But what really kind of stands out to you the most about for him, you know, being a rookie playing, so still playing is like, hasn't played a hundred major league games yet, but also looking so comfortable out there. And although he's not, you know, metrically the best defensive second fielder, you still see him make some really impressive plays from time to time. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, as you were asking that, that's the first thing I thought of. And I think he probably flourishes in the shift more than any other red on that infield when he's playing that short right and he has a pretty good sense and he's guided by Delano to shields you know he is moving a lot of those dudes around he is in the right place right time and makes some pretty athletic plays I mean it's still not routine he, he has to lunge to one side or another or has to slide and pop up and make a longer throw twist it often from one knee um, I, I think he's taken to it incredibly well and you know he's talked about he talked with Jim Day quite a bit um, when he uh, on the podcast and then some other hits that they did for studio about the shift and the lack of the shift in his earlier playing experience um, and trying to learn where he should be and what he should do. And that's where the absence of last year being at the alternate site, I think probably helped him a ton at the plate, helped him a ton with some skills in terms of executing on defense, but that feel for how and where to move in a game situation only comes with games. I mean, you need to play games because stuff happens in games that you can't anticipate or fabricate. And, uh, and I think at the plate, he's so far made the adjustment to the adjustment. You know, that first week he was on fire and some of it was situational and some of it was, you know, hits that got through that drove in runs that weren't necessarily bombed, but then the RBI total came up. And then it seemed like we saw a lot of breaking ball down in the way and he was chasing a lot. Um, and then he had to sit for a bit. He wasn't playing as much. Senzel was getting more time. And over the last two and a half weeks, I mean, his on base rate's nuts. He's well over 400. Um, and he's, he's taking what pitchers are giving him. You know, he's pulling or going opposite way. He's more than willing to take his walk. The guy gets thrown up and in way more than any other red. I mean, yeah. he's not just getting hit by pitch. They're coming at his head all the time. And I don't think it's on purpose. I don't think they're trying to hit him in the head, but, but still that takes strength to stand in there and have these pitches flying by your noggin all the time and be able to really hang in and, and at that and protect both sides of the plate. And he's been doing it. That He's a tough bastard, man. Yeah. We talked last week. They went up Tyler Stevenson's number one in uh, walk rate, 12.4%. Jonathan India's second, 12.1. Uh, Votto's 11.2. There's no one else above 10. I mean, that's, these are rookies. And I think that's kind of the thing about the Reds is, yeah, they feel like they're, you know, they're, they're on a really good, you know, role right now. They're in a very winnable division, but the future's still bright. You know, I, it kind of feels like, well, the Reds, man, their window's closing because they, they, they put so much stock into last year. Bauer, you start looking at, at, at Stevenson and India, you still got control of Winker. Reds still have control of Aquino through 2024. You know, he could, he still has a lot of potential, um Sims and, and Castillo and, and Gray still here next year and Mali. I mean, there's a lot of talent. And then in the minors, you know, the I don't think the Reds, the Reds window is as dire as I think it's made out to be. I think there's a lot of uh, a potential for success just beyond this year. So um yeah, I, I just I'm so impressed with those two. Just every night, man, they they give you just professional at bats and you can't beat that. Not to mention they're the two leading rookies and on base percentage in the National League right now. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. wild. They've been great. And and then also you look at the division, you know, and the, the Cubs are an aging team that have a lot of decisions to make. And it seems the the general perception from the baseball world is they're going to dump a lot of money and, and probably do some form of a rebuild. I don't think it'll be an outright Pirates-like rebuild, but a modified rebuild to some extent. 
the Pirates are the Pirates. You know, they have some individual pieces that are really interesting, but they're a heavily flawed team that the Reds most days should be favored against. And the Cardinals are getting older too. You know, it's, uh, I, I, I actually, I would agree that I think there's reason to believe there could be replenishment and perhaps even extra growth in the relatively near future. Um, and they're winning right now. You know, it's, uh, and it, to me, the, the biggest key of all is the stability of the pitching. Um, that, you know, between Gray's staggered start off the back issue, you know, Luis has had his, his problems that I, I think he has shown have been largely rectified. It's been now four starts in a row where he's looked pretty darn good. He's commanding better. Velo is up. Uh, strikeouts are slightly down. Who cares? Is the guy getting outs? I mean, that, that, that's what, and I think the strikeouts will come as he gets even more confidence. He can feel even more flowing and natural. Um, and, and then the way that the bullpen is performing and, and to your rookie point, what Gutierrez and Santion have given um, in particular Gutierrez to be able to give that kind of innings. And he looks like he's a 29, 30 year old, several year major league veteran. He yeah. doesn't look like a 25 year old kid who just got there. Yeah, absolutely. What jumps out to you the most in, you know, obviously you can tell, and you saw, especially today, like, and I, this is, you know, something Carlos can speak on really well too, is, when Votto's on this team, they're certainly better for obvious reasons on the field, but just like that, like swagger and that leadership. And it's something where he kind of like, before you were around, John, people gave him a lot of shit for that. And we were all like, uh, what are you guys talking about? But you could definitely tell, especially today, like, you know, he gets fired up after he scores from home. He talks about like how Tucker Barnhart was like, Hey man, I really want an RBI opportunity. What have you seen when you're around the team? Like when he's around, when he's back and he's playing, like, what just lifts him up so much? What like is his great example of leadership in your eyes? Um, I, I think uh, he embraces all the changes of the game on the emotional level. Um, I, 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 I wonder what he would have been like if the game were as appropriately embracing of celebratory emotion as it is today, right from the very, very beginning. Um, and, and he... I think the players on the team know that the dude is a great player. I mean, he, I believe is going to be a hall of famer. Yeah. Uh, it's a, just a matter of, of exactly what ballot he goes in. I mean, his, you look at his rate stats and you, all you can do is compare guys to their era and look at him in his era at his position. He's a great all time player. And I think the players, the younger guys on this team, readily recognize that and uh, i think there there's a reverence to it and there's a celebration of it and there's a shared communal joy to it and i also think the fact that he is so willing and honest about redefining himself totally changing himself you know uh, on the what he does at the plate to say i got to do more damage and that self-awareness and that constant self-exploration um you know looking at barrel rates looking at what wins games. It's not about padding his own numbers. It in fact is in many ways, to some extent, the opposite. He wants to win. And I think, you know, Castellanos embodies that. I think this whole team does. Um, and, and you, I would totally echo what you're saying. I think when he was away, while the team was still fun and won, there is something different when he's there. And there was nothing better than when he crossed the plate today. I mean, that was just amazing. I, I hope Cincy Shirts is printing something up of that. I'm sure book. they are. Because I would gladly wear it. <laughs> you guys have like, you can't, if you can't tell us, but do you guys have like a mic on the field where you could hear what he was saying by chance? So when the team's on the road in particular, it's, it, the, the experience is, is limited. Right. Um, so we're totally at the mercy of whatever the world feed is and what the home team has. Um, Generally speaking, no. Uh, so at home, I do wind up hearing the crunch, you know, on the warning track as the on deck guy is there or the bat boy runs out. Or So we definitely do have some kind of, I don't really know exactly what the setup is, but I'm sure there's something down there. Um, I don't know if it's embedded in the lines of the netting or if it's actually built into the wall. There's a dish there, um, but we couldn't hear anything today. If you can read lips, I think you can tell, <laughs> but we could not hear it. <laughs> I think Carlos knows him well enough to know exactly what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking on, you know, him being that leadership role, 
you know, he'll be the first to tell you he's not, he doesn't want to be classified as a leader, but I think that's what a great leader says. Like, you know, those guys feed him. Those guys know how great of a player he is. You know, fans, they have their opinions. You know, we think he's great. Some don't. Um, but those professional baseball players who have done this for years and years and years and have got to that level and see what he's still doing at this age, and it's not like he's just showing up and playing and, and getting hits. He's there probably before most of them. He's there putting in time. And, you know, those young cats are probably like, well, I got to do that if he's doing it, you know, and then they see that he's having fun while he's doing it. He's taken, you know, like you say, he's taken all the analytics and he's been doing that for years. Like, you know, he was talking to me about those kind of things before it was really big, like early on in his career in his MVP years, like, you know, sharing information that we see now daily all the time. And I'm like, what am I looking at here? What are you showing me? And, you know, he's teaching me about it. It was kind of, I mean, he's the one who got me into it and paying attention to it. I'm still not quite at the level with Nick, but um, it, it's it's fun to see it. You can see the emotion, you can see the laughter. You know, he shares with me, you know, things that is genuine, like it's a team. Like, you know, we've talked about our 2006 Chattanooga team. Uh, we were just, you know, loaded with nothing but talent. And we just, we showed up and we knew we were probably gonna win the game. And, you know, maybe that night might not be the case with these guys, but they, they have the mentality of that. And so, and you can see that it's transparent. You can see it on TV. You don't have to know anybody. You, you can see, you know, everybody's genuinely excited for anybody that does well. And it's just, it's got the making of something special. And I'm glad to, to be able to watch it. I think the yeah, most- I, I totally agree. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the one, uh, w- when you speak of the analytics, the one thing that sparked was the, uh, the athletic story where, where you were quoted. My one of my favorite pieces, it, it's hard to label anyone. There's like five dozen things. It's an amazing piece. The story about how he had heat maps for umpires, like that is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, is, that is so cool that he would be that detail oriented. I mean, it, it's one thing for teams to have like the name of the umpire up or maybe like the name of their kids or something. And so when you approach the plate, you can engage them in some way. And, uh, but to know like where they're calling balls and strikes and how that compares on a night to night basis, that is next level Jedi kind of stuff. That is great. Yeah. Like how do you train your mind to be like, okay, this is a ball, this is a ball. And then just one day out of the month, it's going to be a strike. So you swing at it. Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> that is hard. It's really hard. Yeah. There was no player in baseball for like, I'm sure Tim probably knows. There's no player in baseball that got screwed on the strike zone more than Votto for like that 2013 to 15 stretch when oh God, yeah. he was known. And I, I don't know. It's probably the way you perceive it at home, but it felt like the umpires are these, you know, they're anti analytics, you know, <laughs> you know, he's just trying to walk. They're not going to let him. They're trying to, you know, yeah, it was just incredible how, how many times he got the, didn't get the benefit of the down. So that's just, that's, that's incredible. I mean, I'm sure their uh, their pride had nothing to do with it. But... <laughs> Probably, it's just you know the way you was it. Lou Pinnell was talking about. He was on, they listed that. He was like, if an umpire and Joey are going against each other to debate for a call, he's like, I'm probably going with Joey. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty awesome. I think um, the I think what, what, I think the most interesting thing about 37 year old Joey Votto. But before we move on, is I think we all anticipated. Vada would be a 280, 380 low slug guy at this this stage. Not that he would be a 450, you know, 475 slug guy and a, a league average on base percentage. It's just it's insane his progression. It just it 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 completely goes against everything you would have expected for a player of his caliber with what his skill set was for so many years, you know, into his final years of his career being a power hitter. It's just it's it's really cool. It, it, it's just, it's, it's so Joey Votto that, that he would do something like that. And I think part of why he's able to accomplish it. So I, for the first time all year, last game, last homestand was able to go on the field pregame, you know, COVID protocols are what they are. And you have to get a, you know, a sticker and a band and vaccination cards and all that stuff. Uh, so I'm finally able to go down and, you know, I don't have a lot of personal audience. I don't want to get in guys way. They're doing their work. 
But that was the first time I actually saw Joey Votto up close. Like we're, I mean, we were like standing side by side as he walked out of the field. So I could watch on TV and you can tell the guy is, you know, well put together. And then you see him in person. He keeps himself in amazing shape. The dude is huge and he is ripped. And, and I, I think his attention to detail goes into everything. I mean, the, what that guy's diet is and his workout regimen to look like that at that age it's a little bit genetics and it's a lot of hard ass work. And the reason he's able to execute what he does on the field is not only the research that he does and how smart he is, the guy's body is amazing, amazing. And I have no reason to think he can't do this for you know, another few years, at least. Joey yeah, Votto, LeBron James and Tom Brady, they're going to beat father time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he loved to, to show off the guns in the, the, the summer camp last year when they were doing the, <laughs> the spring training at, at great American ballpark. Uh, every, every time he was on the field, he had, you know, a sleeveless shirt on. <laughs> well, like before the whole COVID stuff, you know, we'd go out for dinner after a game or, you know, lunch before a game. And it was like, you know, table for two or, or whatever. And I walk over there, I see the size of the table. I'm like, we're going to need a bigger table. <laughs> I've never seen anybody eat more food than this guy. <laughs> it's, it's like orders four appetizers, two entrees. I mean, it's just, it's amazing, but guess if you you work that hard those guys everyday players they they often eat more than most because they have to but it's i'm still amazed every time i see it it's so fun to watch uh before we we have a lot of fan questions and i know I definitely want to get to some of those because like we said we said john sadik was joining us everyone joined uh, one of the had a question which is awesome so we're definitely appreciative of this but the other night on the broadcast it was monday night actually you and i think it was welsh were talking about you know, when Lustakis comes back, when Senzel comes back, this team has so many bats. And you're like, David Bell's got a lot of decision-making on his hands. And it seems like the Reds fan base is kind of, in some senses, not to speak for everyone by any means, kind of panicking about that. And you kind of were like, guys, that's like, that's the best problem a manager can possibly have. So like, when you look at just this group, and I was thinking about this ahead because, you know, I've been a Reds fan my whole life. And so like, when you see them be good, you start to like, daydream and fantasize about what they can be when you see all these bats and then you see how the top three in the rotation is pitching whenever gray is in and out with his back problem you can even throw away miley in there if you go in like four you know with everything and again every there's still 90 some games ago so i know i'm very far ahead of myself doesn't this feel like a team you don't want to play in the best in like a best three out of five series oh heck yeah yeah i mean this is they are incredibly well put together um Yes, the to me, it's really going to come down to who's healthy and hot. You know, that's that's really the the entirety of it. I think this year probably more than any other. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there is so much latitude to match up incredibly well with a lot of opponents, and and they have enough different looks. You know, you you mentioned Wade Miley, and I think that's a, a good point to make because the spectrum on the starting rotation. You know, you get a guy like Castillo who right now is pumping sitting 97, you know, and he's flirting with 99 and the changeup, you know, when it's on is still super nasty and the slider at times has looked really, really sharp. And then you go to a guy like Wade Miley, who's, you know, barely living like 88, but with sick movement and pinpoint control and that nasty cutter and the awesome change and his breaking ball has been pretty good now for about a month. Um, and then you get Tyler Malley, who's going to throw you up and in more than any other pitcher, both righties and lefties at a pretty lively 94, 95. And he's got that split and the, the slider that he can throw in the dirt. He could also throw for a strike and he can backdoor. Um, th there's so many different looks. And I, I think you make a great point. You know, Chris Welsh has brought this up. The idea of how different looks can impact an opponent. And it, it could happen for hitters and for pitchers. The contrast of speed and power of being able to locate. Um, you know, he had talked about the ability of hitters to even move around in the box. Uh, that something he thought when a pitcher is on, hitters should do a little bit more today that they, they don't really do anymore. Um, but I, I think that versatility um, that does create those conundrums of like who plays, where do they play, how do you use them? Um, when you have a manager and a, and a front office and an overall organization that's going to maximize matchups, I think is invaluable. 
they give me a lot of, and I've talked about this in the show a few times, they give me a lot of 2019 Nationals vibes. I'm not saying they're going to win the World Series like that team did, but like that team, like, and granted, I mean, I guess now, yeah, with Winker and Castellanos, you definitely have someone you can put up with Juan Soto. Um, but that team went through like everything that year. They had like long losing streaks. They had long win streaks. They had tons of peaks and valleys and they won it all. And like this team, and I don't necessarily if I'm confident to say this team's going to win the World Series by any means like they did, but they certainly, when you line them up like team to team, like it certainly has a lot of similarities. Yeah, I could see that. I, I could definitely see that. I mean, I think, uh, I think this is in similar fashion to those Nats. Um, you had a reasonable level of expectation in a crowded division, uh, underachievement to some extent, you know, uh, for the nationals, he was far more dramatic. Um, and a, a bullpen that you can lean on that top end starting pitching, um, the really hard hitting top third of the order, but a lineup that's far more versatile than that and deeper than that. Um, and can definitely, it doesn't surprise you with that bottom third base hit. You know, I, I think we saw that today, but, you know, even though it didn't necessarily result in a sea of knocks, that when Peralta was, the limited times he was tested, you know, that first couple of times through uh, was Freeman and, and Farmer had some of the hardest contact. Um, you know, that just, I, I, I think, speaks to the, the multiple ways that they can beat you. And, and I think even more so back to the resolute belief that they can and will win. I mean, what Carlos had spoken of, you hear it from these guys constantly and you don't hear that from most teams. You don't hear that. And it's not said with a sense of bravado. It's sent matter of factly, like they believe that they can should and will win. And belief in winning is a big deal. I mean, look at the teams that have won that have had players coalesce together largely through the minors augmented with select free agents over the last 15, 20 years. You know, you look at what the, the Cardinals had done, what the Royals did, um, what the Yankees had done, what the Astros did. They had groups of prospects that were together that advanced that, that won together. They kept dudes together to learn how to win. I think there's a lot that, that we can't quantify that is not um, analytical. Um, it's something Sean Doolittle has spoken about when he spoke of the, the nature of energy and momentum and the, the reality of it. And he's a guy who was on that Nats team that won that World Series and sincerely has said multiple times that he feels that same kinetic, you know, kinship with this team. That when you played a team sport and you won, that is real. That you can't put a number on it. It's not going to show up on a stat sheet, but it is real and it's something that connects multiple champions yeah, you get you get anton and, and we're way ahead of ourselves you get anton and sims who can pitch two innings at a time in a short series all of a sudden your bullpen doesn't have to be super deep and that's the most interesting thing i see as the season goes on and i don't know maybe i'm just drinking the kool-aid here but I'm starting <laughs> to go well you know what keith hembury you know he he's got some he's 10th in major league baseball and strikeout rate right now and you start thinking, okay, well, they got Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. Could they put them in the bullpen? Could they move Gutierrez and Santi onto the bullpen and they go into a rotation? And you start seeing, you know, and, and, and Lorenzen is coming back. And, you know, I think, I think uh, he was a guy who really was underappreciated and I think probably might get some of that appreciation back this year just because of, of how, you know, versatile he is and he can pitch multiple innings. And, you know, I, I think people under undervalue you know a slightly above average reliever how valuable that is so i don't know carlos i'd love i'd love your opinion you know yeah, for sure. sure that you're the, the the pitcher you know among us here do you think the reds could i mean obviously we all want the reds to to go grab a couple more relievers who knows if that'll happen or not and what's the point of us getting into that we don't make that decision do you think there could possibly be enough internal options if you start using Green and Lodolo in, in some some sense and, and and with Lorenzen coming back? Yeah, absolutely. Like you spoke of, in, in a short series, anything can happen. You know, I mean, you saw last year with the Reds and the Braves, like in, in score runs. I mean, that probably wouldn't happen in the next seven games in a row. Like 
you know, those guys were hitting at the time, then all of a sudden they didn't. Anything can happen. And they've got plenty of, you know, fire like you talked about. Sims can throw two. You know, Lorenzen can come in if the starter is, is kind of struggling, can yank him early and bring him in for two or three. Like, it can definitely happen. And the fact that these guys believe in themselves and their teammates believe in them, their coaches believe in them, like, that all matters. It, it, it really does. They feed well off of each other. There's not like, you know, when a. Eugenio was – was was struggling earlier he was telling everybody hey positive vibes we're, we're gonna get it we're coming through we're coming around you know sonny got hurt he's you know he's kept a positive attitude you can see him talking to the young guys on the bench which is which is a gigantic deal it is huge for those guys just to even talk to them not just talk about pitching but just talking about them helping them feel relaxed because that is again that's something that you can't quantify like john was touching on that makes a big difference you know like being a rookie going up there like you know, I'm standing next to, you know, some of the biggest names of all time, Greg Maddox and Trevor Hoffman. I'm just trying not to make, you know, make an ass out of myself or say dumb and dumb. And, you know, they're there talking to me like, hey, you're outing yesterday. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? What were you thinking? You know, things like that help those guys out. And, you know, having Doolittle in there, that's going to help those young relievers out a lot. I think he's helping Amir out a lot, being a left-hander and being able to talk to him because, you know, Sean's had a kind of up and down career as well. He's had some really good years and he's had some bad ones. And so he's been there. He's done that. And everybody knows what Amir has. So it's, I mean, there's, there's to answer your question, you know, to come back to it. Uh, yes, 100%. There's, there's enough there that can win in a short series, especially with help from, you know, possibly green or Lodolo or, you know, someone else. Forever remember the controversy in 2013 of should the Reds put Billy Hamilton on the playoff roster? Didn't pitch a role as Chapman in that game. Nope. PTSD memory. It's not good for sure. How do you not get him in? So, John, are you ready to hear from the Red, the Reds country for some of these fan questions we have? Sure. Hit me. Hit me. Awesome. This first one I have is on Twitter from Stephen Offenbaker. Have you heard any updates on when the broadcast team can go on the road with the ball club? Uh, the latest I've heard is I don't think TV is going to be traveling. Um, okay. I think there's a chance Jim Day could at some point, um, but that's still very much TBD. I know uh, the Brewers, uh, they traveled their reporter. Sophia was at Great American Ballpark for the, the last series that they were there. Um, but that's only, and I know the, the Yankees recently started traveling Meredith Morakovitz. Um, but I, I don't know what the totality is with everyone else. And the latest I'm hearing, it doesn't sound super likely, although radio I, I hear likely will be traveling or is traveling right now. So I think they're back lock and step into norm. I hope it's going to come. I want it to come. Um, I mean, that's part of the thrill of the opportunity is the chance to go visit other cities and, and, uh, and yeah, fly on the charter and being in a nice hotel and being a big league ballpark. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's part of <laughs> the package. That's why you want to do it. So, uh, but I, I don't think that's coming anytime soon, unfortunately. As you mentioned, that, this comes from Tim fun. Daniel. Do you need a personal assistant? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think our daughter Claire uh, is 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 largely handling everything right now. Although, <laughs> to be honest, I'm usually more helping her than she's helping me. But I I think she calls dibs. Fair. Um, and then I got this other one from Twitter. Then Nick, did you scan? Some, do we have some YouTube ones as well? I haven't even checked. We got so many. I just I I figured we'd make it. Make, make it be on the, the Twitter this week since we did ask earlier today. Perfect. And this one's okay. from the Optimistic Reds fan. And, and you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. How do you maintain a substantial amount of energy behind the mic? You're excellent at chanting that energy to us through your voice. Um, it, it's just who I am. I mean, it's when I watch sports, when I experience sports, that's how I react. That's how I've always reacted. Um, when I was a terrible player, that's how I reacted. And when I, I watch as a fan or as a broadcaster, um, if you ever catch me at a game as a fan, just hanging out, I'm pretty much the same dude. I just don't have a headset on, you know, and I might be having somewhat more off color conversations without the headset than I, I would in a broadcast. Uh, some, some other word choices may be involved, but the experience is very similar. Um, and it's, I, I live vicariously through the, the moments in the game. And then we have red leg Niners who asked, and we probably have already touched on it. Your favorite moments so far this season covering the Reds. Ooh, I, my favorite single moment, the no hitter is amazing. 
uh, amazing. Um, but it's hard to top opening day just because, and I still haven't experienced a proper Reds opening day, but it was my first opening day working major league games. So to be standing there in a bright red jacket next to Barry Larkin to announce the Cincinnati Reds on TV is, is still mind blowing. I, I don't know that it'll ever feel um, that I've actually earned it or that it's appropriate or that, I'm glad to do it, but it, it still it still blows my mind that that's real. Because when I I told you guys this before we came on, that you know when I I decided this was my passion and what I wanted to do, this was always to some extent the goal was to call Major League Baseball, but I never thought it was actually going to happen. I, I I thought I could announce sports for a living. I thought I could move to a somewhat high level, but th these jobs are really tough to get. And I, I never thought it would occur. So the, that first moment, that first time we did a game, um, it, 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 that's the one that's going to be imprinted forever. Yeah, Tommy talked about that a little bit on Jim Day's pod this week, just how he's like, I've had three opening days. They've been the three craziest experiences of all time. So <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Um, I can't get you out of here without obviously asking Cincinnati questions. And honestly, especially comparing it to New York, um, first off, how would you say La Rosa's pizza compares to New York style pizza? Um, it's similar. It's very similar. Um, I like La Rosa's. We have it at the stadium a lot. Uh, I would say probably at least once a homestand. I go with the pepperoni instead of the cheese. I'm more of a meat guy. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoy it. And New York pizza can, can run a pretty wide spectrum too. Um, and yeah, I, I was born in Manhattan. My family's from the Bronx and Yonkers. I grew up in New Jersey, um, which is very similar with its pizza and its bagels and everything else. Um, and, and even within my town on the Jersey shore that I spent the second half of my childhood, you'll find deep allegiances to who's a J and G pizza guy and who's a Nick's pizza guy and who's a, um, but there it's mostly mom and pop, you know, kind of family owned smaller places. Um, but I, I do, I really enjoy La Rosa's actually when I got the job shortly after I got it, we got a, a care package delivered to us with a number of Cincinnati treasures, including, uh, La Rosa's. Um, what else was in there? There was a, uh, like four pints of Grater's ice cream in there. Nice. Uh, which, I mean, that, that went down went last night. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we, uh, we had skyline in there too. And some, uh, ribs and sauce from Montgomery. Inn. Nice. So, so are you one of the, like the, uh, people who come here and don't like skyline or, or do you have a good impression of it or. No, I like skyline and I had had it nice. before I moved here. Um, okay. so, I did the division two basketball championship for multiple years and it was hosted at, at NKU mm -hmm. uh, was the site for it. So I wound up staying in, we were in Covington. Um, and that was, I think that was the first time that I tried it. And then I'd been back in the area for other stuff. My, my dad actually lived in Versailles right outside of Lexington for about yeah. seven years. Um, so anytime I would do an event at UK um, or if I was at, you know, Western Kentucky or even at middle Tennessee, or we would usually drive and, and be able to, to hook up at some point. Um, and I, I've had skyline multiple times before I'd moved here. Um, and I, yes, I do enjoy it. So are you a Knicks guy? I grew up Knicks, Rangers, Yankees, Giants. Um, I, I don't know if I'd say I'm now a Knicks guy. I think okay. the the only childhood team that I really would still say that I follow in any way is the New York Rangers. Uh, the 93, 94 Rangers are like my favorite single sports team of all time. Um, but uh, I, I would probably more clarify myself as a Reds guy right now. Fair enough. That's what we like to hear. Guys, you got anything you want to touch on before we close out? No, no. Just thanks so much, John, for your generous time and, um, you are very deserving of being the Reds broadcast. We're so happy to have you. We hope you're, we hope you're here. You retire as the, the Reds, uh, play-by-play -play guys. So yeah, thanks so much, John. Thank you all. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, I also want to give one shout out if I'm, if I may, I spent the last seven years covering uh, Navy football on CBS sports network. I've had the honor and privilege of calling the army Navy game on national radio, uh, for that same span of time. And the sports information director, PR guy at the United States Naval Academy. He's an Indiana grad. His name is Scott Strassmeyer. Huge Reds fan who is watching this stream right now. I just noticed that he had texted me, I guess, probably about 30 minutes ago. And he, he asked for a name drop. So he, uh, he works his butt off. He is an excellent, excellent SID and advocate for that program. 
And uh, thank you to all those at the academies for all that they do. It's, it's an awesome honor to be able to cover those student athletes and coaches. And uh, PJ Volker is one of their linebacker coaches, also from Cincinnati, huge Reds fan. And uh, it's, it's amazing how many people I wind up noticing are, are huge Reds folks throughout the entire country that I come across. Um, but I, I wanted to make sure I said, hey, and thank you guys for having me. Um, it, it's, a, it's a real honor. I'm glad to come on anytime. I love baseball. I love covering the Reds. And uh, I'm glad to talk about it with anybody that sees me in the street at some point, too. Feel free to, to wave me down. I mean, there's a lot of goatee bald guys with glasses <laughs> out there. So it's sometimes hard to tell us apart. But, uh, but I'm always glad to talk to the Reds. Perfect. Well, we'd love to have you again. So we're going to wrap up this week's edition of Late Night Reds Talk. I was told by my producer I keep missing this, so I will remember it this week. If you are not able to catch the live YouTube channel, we are available on Spotify. We are working to expand to multiple podcast apps, so you can follow us and listen to our show each and every week when we put the episodes up. Uh, everyone, thank you all again for tuning in. Have a great night, and we will talk soon. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.